Wise Girls, the premier podcast about bringing Percy Jackson et al. to bimbos by bimbos. I'm your host, Jane, and this is your co-host, Jacqueline. I'm Jacqueline. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's big episode. Uh, we also have another special friend here today to talk about the special thing that we have. Oh, that's me. That's my intro. Oh, hello. <laughs> yeah, uh, tell us a little about yourself. Uh, hi, I'm Undead Rabbits from Undead Rabbits underscore YT on Twitter and Undead Rabbits on YouTube. Hi. Hi. Hello. <laughs> Hello. This is the funny rabbit that we've brought onto the podcast. Hi, it's me. I'm also British. Sorry. It's okay. We're we multiplying. forgive you this time. I will be making horror content on YouTube, but, you know, that production pipeline, it's a bitch. Ah, uh, so everyone, we finished the book. We finished the book and it was good. And it was good. So now we're going to watch the movie really fast and I'll summarize it for you. And it'll also be good, right? It'll, I'm so excited. Yeah. My hopes are so high. I'm okay. feeling very dope right now. Okay. And we're back. We just watched the movie. Hello, Fucking everyone. Hell, mates. That was intense. <laughs> Okay, before we talk about it, let me do a little bit of summarizing for all our listeners. Because hopefully you didn't actually pause and go and watch this travesty. Please, no. So, I didn't take notes today because this is a casual <laughs> movie episode. So, I'm just going to go off the cuff. Okay. Uh, Percy Jackson and the Olympians, The Lightning Thief is a movie where uh, we follow Percy Jackson, a 17-year-old boy, and uh, his best friend Grover, whose uh, main characteristic is being a black stereotype, and and he's also a goat, and uh, Annabeth, who is uh, sexy and sassy. Um, And as they go on a road trip, but it's not really a road trip movie, to collect Persephone's pearls, which are three items that will get them out of the underworld because they're also going to the underworld to get the to prove that they're not the lightning thief. Uh, along the way, they encounter a they encounter a Medusa. They encounter a Hydra at the Parthenon. They encounter a, 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 a an evil casino, and. They uh, get to the underworld. Uh, They all meet Hades, who is weird, and Persephone, who is weirder. And there's this big, like, oh, we only have three pearls, so who are we going to save? And Grover's like, don't worry, guys. I'll stay behind and have sex with Persephone. And... Uh, so they leave and they battle this guy who showed up. I think his name was Luke. He's like a gamer or something. And they fight him and he loses really quickly. And they go to Olympus and Poseidon is big and everyone is happy. And in the end, I think they kiss. I don't know anymore. No, it looks like they're going to, but then they fake out and they're actually having a sexy fight. 
Uh, but I have a se- it ends with a sexy fight. Well, it doesn't end with a sexy fight, does it? Have you guys forgotten the post-credit scene? Because this was 2010, and every film needed a post-credit scene. There was also a post-credit scene. <laughs> That's the sound that Jane makes when she watches a terrible, terrible movie. I made it several times throughout. This... Okay, everyone, what did you think? I know a lot of this episode, especially um, for like Jacqueline and I, who've been like recently reading the book, and I know that Rabbits has been like listening along to the podcast, but I feel like a lot of this is going to be us looking at the book and saying, this was better in the book than it was in the movie. Maybe we should do this, because maybe we should do this in like a, a, a compliment sandwich format. Okay. <laughs> Let's start with what sure. we liked about this. I do actually have a couple of things that I liked in the movie. Okay, yeah. so t- just tell us one thing that you really liked. One thing that I, I really like is uh, when they go to fight Medusa. Uh, well, when they go to Auntie M's Garden Emporium, Luke doesn't tell them that Medusa is the one who's there. And that's like, that whole plot point has changed from the book, but they've still worked in some foreshadowing that Luke is the bad guy. And I think that was. That was that was a good one. You did a good one there, guys. Yeah, Rabbis, do, do you have a do you have one thing you liked about the about the book, movie? My premier compliment is also about Auntie M's Garden Emporium, in that they didn't make Medusa ambiguously Middle Eastern and using some kind of hijab niqab to cover up her snakes. Fuck Christ, yeah. I uh, one one good thing that I liked was uh, okay. I liked, I I thought that... <sighs> I can just hear Jacqueline's brain fizzling over the call at the moment, trying to think of a compliment. I liked that... Uh, Listen, the show isn't was... called Unwise Girls for Nothing. I, I, I liked... <laughs> I liked the idea that Hermes' cabin was like a respite from the rest of the camp, and was yes. like... Was like a cool gamer pad. That's a genuine compliment for me, actually. That is something, not because it's a good at change from the book, because the book was bad. That's a genuine good bit of visual storytelling, in my opinion. Yeah, they walk into Luke's, they walk into the Hermes cabin, which may as well just be Luke's room, because nobody <laughs> else is there. And, mm. and it's like, it's like, it's like they're entering like a different world, which, because like they, in this movie, uh, Camp Half Blood is like a big Canadian forest <laughs> instead of like, in- <laughs> instead of like you know like a camp. Uh, but so it's 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 a, it's a stark contrast, and I think that a stark contrast works in this kind of medium. Because this change kind of works with Luke's motive change. Because spoilers, not spoilers. You should have read the book and seen the film by now. Go and do that if you haven't. Or at least listen to the recaps. They put a lot of effort into it. Thank you. These women need to eat. Funds them, please. But yes, in the books, he is... This is from your recaps now. He's actively working for Kronos, I believe. Is that right? Yes. He is like actively trying to destroy yeah. the modern world. Where in the film, one, Kronos is only mentioned at like the very beginning when they're introducing the big three in the museum. And then when we get to Luke at the end, and Percy's like, why'd you do it, mate? Why'd you betray all your friends? Luke's like, not because he's waiting for Kronos, he's just really fucked off because his dad left him. <laughs> and like, that works. Because one, it's like a good mirror of Percy. 
And two, it's not setting up a wider universe, which this film series wouldn't get because this film was shit, and I presume the second one's also shit. So it's making it more self-contained, making the narrative more cohesive, not just more lore-heavy. And again, it makes him a good mirror to Percy. So yeah, that's one of the few changes that I think is actually in the benefit of the film, and not just okay. because it's less racist this way. Okay, but I would like to I would like to counter your assertion that it makes Luke a good mirror of Percy, because for him yeah. for him to be yeah. like a dark reflection of Percy, there would have to be like some fundamental character trait that separates them and makes it so that uh, Percy responds differently to his circumstances than Luke does. And the problem is that nobody in this movie has a character. They just say one-liners. Absolutely not. Yeah, there. Yeah. I, I I basically agree with uh, your point, Ravitz. But like, I do think that uh, what what stri- what there could have been because I also agree that like I think it's good that they weren't setting up like Kronos or whatever. I don't think Kronos needs to be in this movie. Mm-hmm. But I think the problem is that uh, Luke could have been like a really interesting foil for Percy. Like he kind of is in the book. Um. I kind of but the problem is just like what Jane said there isn't a character to any of these people like okay I kind of try to go over it in the summary but here's the characters of our main three characters Percy Jackson is a senior in high school who sometimes who like has trouble in school maybe because he has dyslexia he likes to he likes to be in water he likes to swim and that's it (laughs) and like he he will stand up for his mom when his mom is like kind of when his mom is being like abused in front of him and then we've got uh Annabeth. Annabeth is, she is a, like, she's a quippy, like, sassy warrior who, who is, like, knows lore. And Grover is, like, a horny, uh, except he doesn't have horns on his head, just, he's, like, uh, He's he's like regular horny, unfortunately, and he's uh like a like a like a like a hot shot. Like he's like yeah yeah. Like he's like a he's not he's like a exuberant outroverted guy, and that's just all they are. They're like very like they're all like weird nothing pieces. Do you think Grover grew his horns because he fucked Persephone? look textually no i feel like that's the implication though i have notes across all i was gonna say all three arcs i realized my act three notes getting too big so i split into act four like cowards but one of my notes is just persephone is question mark because i cannot pin down what they are doing with persephone i'm frightened that's all i know Jane, can you tell us a little bit about Persephone in this movie? Uh, Persephone in this movie is trying to bang a 16-year-old, for one thing. I think you just hate to see a girl boss winning. I Is she like a 
snake kind of betrayal person? Is she just a, an abused woman trying to get out of a horrible situation? Is she uh, just someone who wants to cheat on her husband constantly? Who knows? We flip through all of these characterizations in about five minutes. Yeah, he yeah. needs a cuck, isn't he? he yeah, yeah. Because the basic premise of the movie is that they're going to find Persephone's pearls, which will let them escape from the underworld when, when, once they get there. And the way that it's set up is like, Persephone frequently uses these pearls to get men she invites in, or like just people she invites in out quickly. So I like how you change from men to people there. <laughs> I mean, they're as they, this, you this know, film is anywhere near progressive enough to have anything besides heterosexual characters. Should we start I, with sort of the beginning of the film and then work our way down? Because I feel like we're sort of going in circles. There's a point at the very beginning of the film which I feel like you two are going to have comments about. Okay. Go ahead. So I'm going to describe the very opening of the film and stop me when you figure out what's wrong. So Zeus climbs out of the ocean. Not Zeus. Fucking hell. <laughs> like, uh, what, what, what went wrong there is that you said Zeus instead of Poseidon. Yeah, I noticed what that. What went wrong there is that <laughs> I'm a fool. <laughs> so let me try again. So at the beginning of the film, Poseidon walks out the ocean. Fishman sees him, and then Stop. uses water powers to shrink. There we go. Yeah. There we go. Did you get? Did you pick it up, Jane? Where's the mist? Where is that mist? Someone's got the ex- someone's got the extractor fan on because there's no mist in here. God. Yeah. No. The the first of all, I'm I'm Jacqueline actually. Uh, but fucking hell, I'm so sorry. It's okay. Um. Oh. But uh, no, like. People in this movie, mortals in this movie, just, like, see supernatural things. And it's always, like, played up for a joke, so I guess it doesn't really matter, but it's such a weird change. Mm-hmm. A woman sees Medusa's severed head through a window being held by Grover by the snakes, and she just sort of screams and runs off. And I we mean, never I hear would. any complications brought on by that. We don't hear, like, a news article later, just like, Percy Jackson, missing boy, has been spotted with a severed woman's head. What the fuck? We just sort of get news reports on storms. It's like, it like okay, cool. It like simultaneously is and isn't played for humor because they're like, it's like, oh, she funny screams and funny runs away. And it's like a funny image or whatever of like him holding the head because he's like, oh, I can't be. But then like, it's also played weirdly straight because it's not like funny music is playing or like they're like yeah, joking that's when, about that's it. That's when they decide they have to leave the motel. They have like, Percy and Annabeth's little, our parents suck, but... And then Grover's like, oh no, Medusa's gonna watch me piss. And then the cleaning lady, and then they're like, we gotta get out of here. And then that's it. That's the whole scene. And it never comes up again. And, of course, we can't not talk, not touch on the pool scene. Which one? There's, Which one? there's two weird <laughs> scenes where Percy is just in water. He's, where the director has forced Logan, Logan Lerman to drown for the movie. <laughs> okay yeah the okay yeah the uh, this is so there's just the there the movie starts first off with an extended scene of percy like <laughs> just like sitting in the water at a at a school swimming pool um as the opening credits roll so like for a solid couple of minutes 
like Logan Lerman's just sitting there with this big grin on his face, sitting underwater, squishing his hands about Loki, just while all these names are coming up. And I'm just sitting there going, is he okay? Okay, here's <laughs> what I think happened. Right? The the top bosses at, you know, uh, whatever people produce this movie. 20th Century Fox. Oh, we'll talk about the behind the scenes stuff. We'll talk about the director of this. Chris Columbus, of course. Uh, uh, but they came together. You know, Chris was there. The writers were there. Whatever. Who cares? They were like, okay, how do we display that Percy is the child of Poseidon as like a hint <laughs> other than it being said in the opening and like implied by like filmic language. Um, um. And so, and so one of the writer, one, one person on the team was like, well, maybe at one point we can do what the book does and like have him get pushed into a, like a fountain, but then he like throws, like uses the fountain water accidentally. Like, and somebody, and everybody's like, no, shut up, idiot. And they throw that person out. It's just like the, the and they meme say, where the guy gets chucked out the window. Right. <laughs> and they thank you. And they all and then the the top head honcho says, I don't know what a Poseidon is, and someone says, That's a water god, and he says, Okay, have him in a pool. I and can so they, that sounds sort right. of defends this decision. Because like I said, it's weirdly long. But at the same time, you're meant to look at that and go, huh, he's underwater for a weirdly long time. I wonder if there's a reason for that. I wonder if he's the son of Poseidon. Like, I know we know it because we read the book and also because they say in the opening titles. But if you think how a producer would think, who thinks of his audience like a bunch of fucking chimps <laughs> who do not know anything, That's fair. then I can understand why they decided to have that scene. But at the same time, it fucking sucks. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Here's my counter, though. I am a chimp who knows nothing, and I thought it was bad. So, they screwed up there. <laughs> so, I briefly call attention to the director of the film, and I know throughout the, your recaps of the books, you've frequently likened the books to Harry Potter. They're trying to get on the Harry Potter craze, you know, the young adults. I feel like that's slightly harsher than what we said about them. <laughs> you at least alluded to Harry Potter having an influence on the decisions made in this book series. Yeah. No, singularly, we've only done one book. And funnily enough, Christopher Columbus, or Chris Columbus, <laughs> he is the director of the first two Harry Potter films. Uh-huh. Is yeah. this a coincidence? No, absolutely no. not. Is it? <laughs> no, of course it's not. <laughs> no. Along with directing Home Alone 1, Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, and... At time of recording, still on track to direct the fucking Five Nights at Freddy's movie. Uh-huh. They they got the guy who directed the first two Harry Potter films to direct their young adult escapism isekai shit. Jacqueline, Why is this, this production... Sorry, I was just going to say, uh, th this is very much related to this point. Could you just um, relate to the audience what you said when we got our first look at... Um... Uh, Mount Olympus, and I thought, you know what, I've I've seen worse visual designs, and then you immediately ruined it for me. Yeah, uh, so you're like, you know, this isn't actually so bad. I think Olympus might, you know, this isn't. They didn't ruin it, and I was like, it's just Hogwarts. Ugh. It's just oh, Hogwarts again. No, it looks exactly it like it. Like, it's got like the blue clouds and like the the gold lighting. Oh no, it's Greek Hogwarts. <laughs> 
And okay, but... speaking of just how, how things look, and this is a problem from the very start where they decide that like Poseidon's human form is just like a tech bro. <laughs> uh, the costuming decisions in this movie are terrible. Mm-hmm. The everything looks so boring. The the camp half blood like campers. They're not wearing, like, you know, fun camp shirts or anything like that. They're wearing just, like, weird pseudo-Greek battle armor. Yeah, they just look like laughers. Sorry, guys. Yeah. <laughs> they look like they went to Party City or wherever and just went, yeah, can we do some of those? You still want to stop from that 300 movie? Can we just have those, please? Yeah, thanks. Yeah, let's save our directoring budget. Directoring budget? Costuming budget for, I don't know. No, I know, what, Dawson. I know what they saved that budget for. And it's one of my favorite bits of the entire movie. Tell us. Where, where um, Chiron is in Poseidon cabin with Percy, and he's kind of explaining the plot to him, and he's saying, oh, someone's stolen Zeus's lightning. And the whole time, he has his arms crossed in a like really unnatural way. <laughs> They're like held really yeah. tight against his body. And that's so that... I, f- I realize this is because if he held his hands like a normal person would, they would get like in the way of his CGI horse body. And disrupt the very good visual effects. My one note about Chiron. Chiron? Chiron? Chiron, I think. I know there's two characters who have very similar names. It's Chiron. Chiron is the horse boy, Chiron is the boatman. I have things to say about the boatman. Mm -hmm. But, yes, when Percy first sees Horseman, he's in like a stampede of centaurs, and then he comes up and he's like, hello, Percy, because he's like a horse and he neighs. Mm-hmm. He doesn't do that in the film, does he? Uh-huh. He does in my, he does in my version. Grover does my, that, uh, the Chiron doesn't. <laughs> he does. And Percy's like, you're a, you're a, in like, you know, standard comedy thing. And then Chiron, Chiron, Karen, Bojack Horseman, he goes, yes, I'm, and I quote, a real horse's ass. Now, yeah. is that a saying? They say that as if it was something Percy called him earlier or something. Like on the field trip, he's like, "Wow, Mister Brennan, you're a real horse's ass." Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> like if it was a callback to that, I'd at least understand it. But maybe it was in deleted scene, or maybe I just missed it. Because when he says it, he's like, "Yes, Percy, I'm a real horse's ass." I'm just like. He doesn't even. He's, okay. He, he says like, "I have a real horse's ass," like. It's which, good, why good would for you, you. good for yeah, you. Yeah, why don't you say that? Like, yeah, of course you do. You have a horse body. What are you talking about? <laughs> Stop that saying line, this to your students. That line is only there for me. It is there to confirm that uh, centaurs do, in fact, just have like normal ass horse anatomy beneath the waist, <laughs> and that means he does just piss where he stands. Piss oh, box, no. piss box, piss box. Uh, <laughs> it's a running joke, everybody. <laughs> I'm in on that. Yeah. But hey, at you, least the other counselors at least the other counselors are around. At least they're interesting. Y- yeah, oh, we've wait. got we, we've got <laughs> the camp leader, Luke. Dionysus was great in this film. I can't remember any of his scenes though. Hmm, where was he? I wonder. They just like combined kind of combined him and Chiron. But and the other camp half blood members we meet are it's it's only Luke and Annabeth. Those, mm-hmm. are, those are the only two people we meet. Have you forgotten? Have you forgotten Clarissa? I mean, she I is not in this movie. Did you not see her? 
Like, I really appreciate the way that they took away the fat phobic elements and sort of slimmed her down. But they slimmed her down so much, you couldn't see her. She wasn't there. Oh, I <laughs> see. I see what you're doing. You're doing a funny I bit. I'm doing a funny bit. I, I, I will admit, when I, like, when I first saw oh, Annabeth, like, fighting, like, in the woods or whatever, I was like, oh, they have Clarice here and she's thin. But I thought the exact same thing. And the funny thing is, after that scene, when Percy hit the flag and then Annabeth jumps out, I thought, oh, it's Clarissa. Same. Not realizing that they're just the, they're the same actress. I just have the worst face blindness on the planet. I don't think that's entirely on you. I think that's on this movie for basically hiring people who look exactly the same. I think Jacqueline even pointed out everyone has the same eye color. <laughs> looks the same. Looks the same as who? Clarissa wasn't in it. <laughs> Everybody in this movie has blue eyes, which Do I'm they? not like. Yeah, I'm not like a stickler. There's even a point where like Medusa is like, Percy, you have such beautiful blue eyes, like the sea, and it's like she does. She does say that. Unfortunately, what a weird change. Like, okay. Speaking of changes, I want to say that you two are prophets because when we see. The boatman <laughs> has indeed been whitewashed. They whitewash Charon, and he's not sexy anymore it. either. A finger on the monkey's paw curls in wits. Hey, that implies months. that we wished for that. <laughs> they we they they made Charon white and decrepit instead. He looks of... like death from Bill and Ted. That's kind of, like. but he doesn't even look as cool. <laughs> like, that's what I was thinking of, too, but it's not, like, a good... It's not a good design, even. It wouldn't have even added anything to the budget or changed the story that much, surely, to just make Caron, like, a cool dude who likes wearing nice suits and takes Percy's money so that he can buy more nice suits. The way that this movie looks, though, like, the way that it's like just like visually produced no like effect comes off from any scene of like whether it's at night whether it's at day it looks basically the same like it's not like it's dull and gray they try to make like they kind of try to make the colors pop but like it's also like so bland and dull when they go into the um parthenon in nebraska and they're like, oh, we'll go back in when it's closed. I wrote in my notes, they're going to sneak in at night. But then when they sneak back in, the lighting, and I know it's the interior of the buildings, so you wouldn't be able to tell. But in filmmaking, you, you tend to change the lighting no matter where you are, so you can tell what time of day it is. And I'm sitting there like, is it at night? Or is it just like, have they closed for a bit? It's like cleaning staff here. What's going on? It's, it's so indistinct. Trying to get a time frame on... Just trying to establish a timeline for this movie is so confusing and... Okay, but you're absolutely right about the timeline thing, and it also like ruins one of the um, best moments from the book that they kept in more or less like verbatim, which is the twist that they were in the Lotus Casino for like a week. But because the movie's done such a poor job of keeping track of how much time is left to the deadline, it has no impact when we find out how much time they have left. The casino is very odd. Let me lay out my little casino rant. So they go to the casino, and it's all very... When you were covering the casino part in the novels, you were saying how it's not inherently an evil place. I think you were saying this specifically, Jane. 
how it's mm-hmm. like people go there and they sort of get swept up in the fun and they're like woo but like it's not an inherently evil thing it's just if you are there it will fuck up your quests but here it's like actively malicious i feel they are pushing these lotuses onto you absolutely and if you don't need them you'll get kicked out by security what are the security going to do to them actually are they going to kick them out that's what they want force feed them lotuses i guess yeah i guess they did not make it clear and also like you were saying when they went to the casino casino in the books like the twist that's like vintage people there is very it doesn't take that long from the way you summarized it at least but here, there is an entire montage before that bit. Like, as soon as they eat those lotus flowers, they go on a little movie acid trip, where they're like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. And then we get, <laughs> in peak 2010s fashion, a casino montage to Lady Gaga's Poker Face. Get it? Because it's like poker, a game they play in a casino. Because they're in a casino gang. God, aren't these filmmakers clever? I think so. I think it's also an example of how this is just like a poor adaptation of a book in general because like you can get away with the um, vintage clothes twist in prose because you just don't describe the characters wearing those clothes until it becomes relevant but if you're doing like the exact same thing in a movie without changing any of it then you have to just have them not notice any have no you just have to have them not run into anybody with those kind of clothes until the story decides okay it's time for them to meet the dude from the 70s and, I think and that's that, exactly what happens. Yeah, it just the betrays like... The off on Percy, and he has like a little, oh, where am I at the moment? So he wands into an arcade, and they put some interesting arcade games there. They put in Ms. Pac-Man, Donkey Kong, and The French Connection, which he sees some guy playing. And then Percy's like, oh, wow, that film's great. I saw it on DVD. And the guy next to him goes, what's a DVD? This doesn't tip Percy off that something's wrong. So he goes, oh, he just shrugs it off, I guess. And then the guys go, oh, it's a great film, film of the year. And then Percy's like, what are you talking about? And then the guy goes, you know, this year, 1971. Like it's the end of a Twilight Zone episode. (laughs) (laughs) You can basically hear the ellipses between each word. And I'm just sitting there like, yeah, okay. They also Grover gets a harem. Grover gets okay. We got to have Grover Grover fast. This movie is racist. It's very racist. Yeah, I know. I talked about the Medusa scene being less racist, but only in that one capacity. Okay, and that also happened because they would do it. They did a racist thing, and it just happened to turn out with net less racism, just because the book was kind of (laughs) weird. So, okay, basically, like, in, in, okay, I don't, I don't think Grover has, like, a described, like, race in the books, does he? But I think there's, there's, there's not, like, a problem with, like, they made, like, they have, they cast a black actor. That's not a problem. Mm -hmm. But the problem is, is that they're, like, okay, we've got, and I don't know if it was, like, you know, I don't know when this decision came, but either way down the road, it made it bad, whether it was after casting or before casting or what. Uh, they were like, okay, we're going to change Grover's character. He's not a meek guy anymore. He's not like a kind of a bullied kid who is like watching after Percy, even though like 
Percy's actually watching out for him. He's actually watching out for all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. He's like, he's like, uh, like a, he's just the stereotype of like a black best friend. They, they just decided like, he's going to be, he's going to tell quirky jokes and he's going to be horny and he's going to like be, I don't, it's, he, I have my tongue. To have the one black, I was going to say main character, the only black character really, except for one of the gods at Olympus at the end, to be one, literally inhuman, two, the comic relief, and three, be weirdly sexualized throughout the whole thing. That's a trio of bads there, my friends. That's really yikes. Sorry, it just is. Thanks, Chris. We we should say that this was written not by this wasn't written by Chris Columbus. This was written by uh, Craig Titley. Craig Titley. <laughs> Craig Titley, of course, well known I'm for sure writing. Craig Titley, well known for writing. Uh, let me see here. Oh, uh, part of uh, help uh, helping write the story with James Gunn of uh, Scooby Doo two thousand two. Oh, what the shit! You know what? I didn't know J- that tr- that tracks. That I tracks. didn't know James Gunn worked on that movie, but that makes sense. Didn't you? No, no. I think that was like his first writing stroke directing thing. Yeah. Well, good for you, James. Yeah, and to Chris Columbus, I'm sorry for slandering you there. Please write the Five Nights at Freddy's movie well. To Chris Columbus. I don't think he's writing that one either. Directing it, sorry. To Chris Columbus. <laughs> to Christopher Columbus. You, to Christopher Columbus. You didn't Burning write hell. this shit, but you did approve it, so it's still on you. Yeah. Yeah, that's the gist of it. Also... You, were, you weren't behind the wheel, but you were giving directions. No, other way around? Fuck it. He's a director, Can we so talk also? Cool. Can... Okay, we've got to talk... There's too much to talk about in this movie. Why this movie is like race? It's misogynistic. <laughs> All there's there's like one fe- there's two female characters. There's three female characters. There's, <laughs> they just keep over. racking up. <laughs> there's okay. So there's Sally. You have yes. There's Good, Annabeth, sorry, and there's Persephone. Sally is okay. Uh, Who isn't and, a character, uh, really. And, she exists. And, she's a and she's the the three they are like the the three characters that they are is like okay they're gonna be sexy. That's Annabeth and uh, Medusa and I guess Persephone, mm-hmm. or they're gonna be uh, they're gonna be mom basically self-sacrificing endlessly self-sacrificing mother figure yeah or inhuman monster or inhuman monster uh who again gets the line gets the stellar line from my notes give me just a second i used to date your daddy i i used i used to date your daddy i used to date your daddy jesus why is this movie weirdly horny it's so everything. Everything, ev- all the women especially, are so sexualized. Even Sally, to an extent. Like, oh yeah, and like her first scene, scene she gets smacked. Yeah, and then Gabe is like, uh, "Hey, Percy, your your mom is servicing me and my friends." <laughs> yeah, yeah, they do that, like the he? weird. He says that. Yeah, and like, okay, 
it's I hate okay I guess here's where we go into full I hate the changes they made <laughs> territory okay. I especially I, I hate what they did to Grover I also and I hate what they did to Percy for taking away all of his character but I I hate the most what they did to Annabeth mm-hmm. Annabeth's characterization begins when we see her fighting and ends when she finishes fighting Percy for the first time in that at the start she hates his guts and at the end of that scene she goes and I quote getting a lot of detail getting a lot of mileage out of these quotes she says uh-huh. and I quote I definitely have strong feelings for you that's that's the same scene not, or not the same scene but it's like two scenes apart yeah they, basically uh... and that's how long her character arc is she goes from hating Percy to having nondescript strong feelings for him even and when then she, she doesn't mother, change. Who she talks about her ranks about not knowing and having never met her. When she finally gets to see her, she just goes, Bye, Mom. Mom. And Athena just goes, Hello. And that's it. Resolved. Feeling all better now. Whoa. It's. <sighs> Annabeth isn't like a smart person in this movie. She doesn't come up with any cool plans. She. She just. She's nothing. She's very violent. She's and... she, kind of, but it's just like she does fighting, kind of. How little effort would it have been to just say, "Hey, she wants to be an architect." There is slightly more to her than just girl who fights. That's the bare minimum. The bare minimum. And yet, and they don't. They don't meet it. And the bar was this... on the floor, and they tunneled under it. I can't he talk does. about this movie. And he bleeds. This sucks. <laughs> I have a few more points if we need material because again I took far too many notes on this film. I think my my last big point is that it doesn't make any sense to age them up. Were they no, aged up? But, but but people whined when Jake Lloyd was bad in the Star Wars prequels, so child actors are impossible. <laughs> oh, yes, no, you're, they, you're probably right. That probably is. They why. were they were aged up. The characters in the book were like twelve. The characters in the movie are like seventeen. Wait, no, this isn't a post-Harry Potter world. People love little mini Daniel Radcliffe. And that was after Phantom Menace. Uh, yeah, but they're not sexy. (sighs) Yeah, if I want to be really cynical and also correct, it is just so they can have Persephone say such amazing lines as, I've never had a satyr visit before. Smack. Yeah, uh, if if it was twelve year olds playing the characters, it wouldn't, or like even just twelve year old characters in general, it wouldn't be like sexy Annabeth or like sexy Percy kind of, uh, or any of that. But so they age them up so that they can be weirdos. And I, they age objectified them up. and ugh. they age them up enough that they could be like, haha, we can uh, do sexy camera shots without it being like weird and pedophilic because they're kids but also they didn't age them up enough but it's it not crazy. Aged them up not enough that it still feels awful still yeah feels because bad. they're still kids mm-hmm. they are framed as such they speak as such they try to anyway. it's a bad time i want to go back to what jane was saying for a second about padding because they changed this film structure from the book significantly because again no not spoilers for the books read the books watch the films eat the lozenge there but only do one of those things in the books it's <laughs> mm, lozenge. but in the book 
it's almost like a mystery of like who stole the bolt and they go through like the suspects and they're like oh it must have been hades with invisibility helmets but it wasn't annabeth because luke said so and they go like they go on a little quest they go down to the underworld and it's like hades where's the bolt and he's like mm. but in the film they kind of forget the bolts because when percy gets to camp half blows everyone's like oh no you're the lightning thief and then Hades makes the campfire explode, and he's like, oh, Percy, I'll give you back your mum if you bring me the lightning bolts. And that's the reason he's trying to get to the underworld, so he can tell him he doesn't have the lightning bolts, which is questionable on its own. But then, for their escape plan from the underworld, they want to get Persephone's pills. So instead of it being like a little mystery thing, and it being like, you know, comprehensive, like, why they go from one place to another, Luke gives them a map, and it's like, do this fetch quest, go to these three objectives, beat the boss in each of them, go to hell, and then go to Hades. And I think that what they should have done is just go full in and make this a road trip movie. Absolutely. Yes. And they took out a lot of scenes that would have really contributed to that. Like, they took out the um fight on the bus, which when I saw the bus for the first time, I was like, oh, it's going to be this scene, which just doesn't happen. They take out Ares, who, like, he's the whole, he's the war guy. He's the war guy. Why didn't they bring him in? I'm okay with them cutting Ares. It it doesn't feel necessary because he feels largely like he needs to be there because of Kronos reasons. And yeah, I'll give like, you that actually. And then they remove the thing for the water park where they get the shield from. And but then they add in the um Parthenon bit with the uh, Hydra, which yes does give pay uh, payoff to Medusa's heads, which they keep instead of mailing to Mount Olympus, which I guess makes more sense in this kind of film because it's like you know. It's a MacGuffin. It's like the flying sneakers. It's like the shields, you know. But at the same time, it feels when they mail it to Out Olympus, you sort of get that. I don't want to say edge because that's got like negative connotations, but it does feel like that. It feels like these are some like angsty teens who are like mailing a severed head to their parents. It's like that's interesting. It gives them more character rather than just oh a severed head. Lex, hang on to it. Oh, it's the Hydra. Bzzz, you're dead now. It, it doesn't feel as clever, it just feels like it's taken the most obvious choice possible. I think that's the problem with a lot of the movie. I feel like, also, we're an hour into recording, so it's kind of late for this. But we do need to add, I think, just a permanent caveat, which is like, when we say they cut out this bit from the book, we have to just kind of mentally add the bit, and they didn't add anything interesting in the space they made with it. I am I am completely in favor all the time of just making things less, you know, chopping things up, putting them make like remove things entirely. You have to still have a coherent narrative. Mm-hmm. And this movie did not have a co basically we learn it had bare bones. We learn we we meet Luke. We learn that he has a bad relationship with his dad. At end of movie we see Luke again. He says, I was the villain and because I have a bad relationship with my dad. Is Luke dead now? He goes splosh. He gets a yeah, trident he... around the neck that sends him splosh right into the that ocean. That shot is so funny. Because Percy, <laughs> Percy's like, I'm the son of Poseidon, which isn't a meaningful line because he hasn't had like a struggle with his identity or anything like that through the movie. Yeah. And yeah. he pulls out like a water trident and he just chucks it at Luke and it catches him by the throat and like prop looks like it should be like impaling him and like carries him straight into the ocean. He flies about a mile and then hits the ocean. I actually really love that they 
they kept one element of the book really consistent which is that uh-huh. at first it seemed like they stripped out uh, Chiron's really like weird crypto-fascist tendencies and just turned uh-huh. it into Yes, like... they don't talk about the Heart of the West or Age of Gold, Age of West, yeah, exactly. any of that, no. And uh, I, I, was, I was really happy about this decision, but then in a shocking show of loyalty to the book, at the end they come around and basically turn him into like this universe's Dumbledore. And in so doing, have come full circle and made him a weird fascist again. So bravo, Chris Columbus. I really appreciate that. Ah, uh, thank you, Chris Columbus. Oh, oh I do have one final. I do have one final note, which is appropriately at the very end of the film, the post credit scene. So in the book, Percy gets like a phone call or a letter from Sally. That's it. He gets like a message from Sally and it's like, oh, I used the Medusa head on Gabe and turned into a statue. I'm independent and freed from abuse. And I'm like, good for her. In the film, uh, in the post credit scene, uh, Sally lets Gabe into the apartment, because at this point she's kicked him out. And she's like, get all your stuff, move out by yourself, I'll leave you to it. Bye. And he's like, oh, I need a beer. So he goes to the fridge, and Percy's left a note on the fridge that says, do not open the fridge under any circumstances, or else, signed Percy. And the fridge is locked. So Gabe takes a look at this, and he goes, Eh, I'm the king of this castle. And he grabs, like, a blender or something, I want to say, and uses it to smash the lock off the door. And he opens it, and surprise, Medusa's head's in there, and it goes like, And that's the end of the film. You know, the rest of the credits roll. And one, it takes away so much energy. It takes away so much agency from Sally. And also... Was it meant to be ambiguous, whether that was, like, a trap for him or something? Because... It kind of reads that way, yeah. Again, I know in the books... I know in the books, Percy goes, please have this head that you can use on Gabe. And she's like, well, I won't use it on Gabe, I'll keep it just in case. And then eventually she does. I mean, but they... I don't think there's a scene in the film where they establish that he's taken the head home and it's in Sally's possession. And so, this... like, one, when did this happen? This is the Home Alone and guy, two... you need to remember. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> it's all full circle. Ring theory. <laughs> oh, it's Harry Potter and Home Alone. Which sounds cooler than it actually is. It sounds awful. Anyone else got any other notes? Uh, yeah, I think I'm I actually done. I need to pay off uh, something that I foreshadowed earlier in this episode, since we're on the subject of Sally, which is uh-huh. I really hate like mm. there's a minor change that, and I don't know why they made it, which is that uh, in this movie Sally has taken uh, Gabe's surname, so she is Sally Ugliano. Yeah, and like they like it's a point in the book that. You know, she she lives with him and mostly deals with his shit, but one of her, like, quiet little fuck yous to him was that she kept her own surname. And it just, it baffles me that they've changed that for no reason. It doesn't, like, play into, like, a different characterization for Sally or anything. It's just a mistake, I guess, that completely, again... It's just more lack of agency for her. It's, exactly. like, taking away her murdering Gabe, which, again, is, like, girl boss. But, like, you know, it was something for her to do. And I, I think in the book it's implied that she chose to marry Gabe again because of the human smell or whatever, which they touch on in the film. 
but like I think there's less emphasis on it being her choice. Mm-hmm. It just take away so much. I'm gonna say the A word again: agency from her, which makes her less of a character. She is just a damsel in distress. So much so that Percy's whole quest to return the bolts or go to Hades isn't, you know, oh, let's solve the mystery of who stole the lightning bolt. It's I'm just going to save my mother, which like. It sounds bad that I'm saying he shouldn't want to save his mother, but it's like, that shouldn't be his one... That shouldn't be the main plot point in the story called The Lightning Thief. It should be solving the mystery of the lightning and how it was stolen. They sure did completely restructure... my mother is dead, except she isn't. They sure did completely restructure a completely usable and fine story to make it a damsel in distress thing. They They should have just not made this film... Like because this. Percy didn't have enough of a character in this movie to like seem like he would com- like to seem like he would compellingly actually go on a quest yeah. like to save the world because we get why he would do that in the books. In the movie, he has to have like his mom dangle in front of him because Hades comes to the camp and explicitly says, "I've got your mom, come get her." And it's I think you can basically summarize this movie by saying they made like horrifically misplaced choices to just like cut out entire like swaths of themes, plot, characterization, and just like this is a bad movie. I think the most most galling thing is that like they must have known they were doing it. Because like you were just saying about Percy, because Percy in the books has that like really nice subtext about how he's sick of being bullied and he just views the god as like bigger bullies and they know that they don't have that in the movie so they just have to give him an explicit fetch quest and then yeah. they throw the little bit at the end where he's like oh I know we talk about wrapping this up but can we talk about Percy's final talk with Poseidon his dad yeah let's talk about it it's so good I love that uh... scene so much <laughs> so the thing is Percy with great power comes great responsibility. And that's why I can't be your dad. That's why I'm a Volcel. But it's okay, because I'll be here. Right here. In your heart. But not there in person to keep you safe from all the terrifying monsters that are out for your blood. Bye, son. Yeah, see, I'm gonna go back in the and movie... hang out with Sean Bean. Sean Bean's in this it... film, by the way. He is. In the movie, instead of it being like, oh, Poseidon just kind of sucks as a dad... Uh, and the reason he can't visit Percy is because of the big three pact um, uh, that Percy shouldn't exist in the first place. It's Mm. it's instead in the movie, it's that there was a law that gods, they can have kids, but they can't interact with their kids. Which makes no thematic sense it doesn't make sense for the story that like i believe that is and again not to spoil future books at all but i think that is a theme they touch upon later on and considering this film came out after i think most of the original five books were out i think that's them just sort of folding it in but still for an adaptation of the first book it doesn't really make sense as a theme to add, because you're still dealing with all the other themes. Okay, but I would like to present a repost to that idea. Ooh, please. Uh, which is, they were not thinking about anything in the future books, 
they thought, hey, this World War II plotline that Rick introduced is whack as fuck. We need to get rid of it and pay for oh, it over with anything else. No. And that's how we got to this. <laughs> Can I talk about one line from the start? I keep dragging this on. Sorry, guy. <laughs> but there's okay. one line let's, at let's end on the this beginning of this film, which astounds me. So, back to the start of the film. Poseidon's come out of the ocean. Good fan. Gone to the Empire State Building, and at the top is Zeus. And Zeus is going, What do you see, Poseidon? And Poseidon's like, Thunderclouds. And Zeus, again played by Sean Bean, goes, But no lightning. And Poseidon thinks, Oh, you're accusing me of stealing your powers. So he goes, We are forbidden from stealing each other's powers. Which, first of all, that's a weird rule to specify. Like, you think theft between gods would be outlawed anyway. But then Sean Bean, as Zeus, refused. But our children aren't? What? So, I... even though they specify that gods cannot steal each other's powers, there's either a loophole or just a lack of law that specifies that you can't send your children to steal other gods' powers. I feel uh... like I feel like that makes more sense in the books where like the gods are treated as like like they are like forces of nature to an extent. They are like powerful, even looking at them in their human forms, you can tell that this is a god. Whereas in this movie they're just dudes. They're giant borrowers-esque so human you forms. You can't just go, oh, they have weird primal rules that they must respect because they are fundamental aspects of the universe. They're just dudes. Mm. I think let me do one last scroll across my wait, notes. Wait, but uh, I just realized I just realized that's this is the thematic ending, the the they they strip away all of the like power and nuance and like impressiveness of the gods and just make them dudes, and that's what they did to the book in making this movie. You know, and what? with that, yeah. I think we're and with that, I think we should wrap it up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I uh, think we've said our piece. Let's 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 uh, finish off the compliment sandwich. We each have to say one more nice thing about it. Oh my it. god, I forgot about that. <laughs> Otherwise, it's just like a weird piece of compliment toast. <laughs> this pod this podcast has a story arc. <laughs> um, you know what? Uh, the design of Hades sucks as a design for like the Greek afterlife. If you just like took that and plopped it into like a movie about the Christian hell, it'd look all right. Yeah. Uh, uh, rabbits? Jacqueline, can you do yours first? I want to save mine till last. I think you're very boldly assuming that Jacqueline has something nice to say. I think that it's very impressive that... I, um, I think... I think that it was impressive that they managed to make this almost two hours. <laughs> I think it was it was so <sighs> rabbits. We could just delete this whole episode and just leave in us trying to ask you <laughs> to say something nice about the movie and you umming and eyeing for a good few minutes. And that's that's all we need to say about this. Ravis, say your thing. My my compliment is that Percy Jackson, The Lightning Thief, released in 2010, only has one sequel. Alright, everyone. <laughs>
Uh, do you want to plug your stuff one last time for us? Uh, the stuff that the stuff that I have, yes. You can follow me on Twitter at undeadrabbits underscore yt on Twitter for updates on what I'm working on, and you can subscribe to my YouTube channel, which is Undead Rabbits, for upcoming horror analysis content. I was gonna say thanks you two for letting me on the show. I really appreciate the opportunity. Anytime. Hey. Uh, if you'd like to reach the show, you can drop us an email at unwisegirlspod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at unwisegirls, where we also have a link to our official Discord server. If you like us, you can support us by continuing to download our episodes, maybe leaving a nice rating and review for the algorithms, and checking out our Patreon. For a dollar a month, you get a special run on our Discord ranking you as a camp counselor. For $3 a month, you get an even special role as a friend of Dionysus and access to all of our bonus content. If you're uh, last week on our bonus episode, we talked about uh, Sonic the Hedgehog. We talked about uh, sci-fi things we like. Yeah. We talked we talked about Yu Hakusho. Uh, if you're feeling especially generous, for $5, you get the specialist role of uh, Aphrodite's Chosen. All of our bonus content... And we'll also read your name at the end of it. Uh, uh, <laughs> we'll thank you at the end of our episodes. Uh, Jane, who we got to thank today? So uh, our five dollar patrons, uh, who we love very much. Thank you for supporting us. Uh, Erica, uh, Mercy, and Veronica, friend. Aw, friend. Friend. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And uh, uh, as we always say, at the end of every episode... Camp Half-Blood. It's like high school without the musical. See Die. you next week, See Camp Half-Blood. Half <laughs>